for May 14th, 2012. It's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 202. Putting on the meat dress. Welcome to the Overthinking It podcast, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny it probably doesn't deserve. I'm Matthew Rather from Los Angeles, California, here with the panel to overthink your feedback, listener feedback, and summer movies, if we get to it after the onslaught of feedback, which we have not done in, you know, I think 200 regular podcast episodes. I think the last one was episode one. Or episode two, the last listener feedback episode. Uh, Panel, your question today in honor of Dark Shadows, the release of Dark Shadows. Uh, What is your favorite box office disappointment? Drink, because Pete Fenzel is not on the podcast, though I am, uh, he's on an Amtrak train, and I'm G-chatting with him uh, as we record. So uh, Pete Fenzel may weigh in via G-chat on things from time to time. Um, But uh, take a long drink, because first in the alphabet is Mark Lee. Uh, uh, to me? Oh, 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 it's my moment. Oh, I'm, I'm first? Is this the first time this has happened? Well, other than the two-handers? First time in a very long time. Okay, I'm going to pick some low-hanging fruit here. A, because it's Mother's Day, and B, because uh, this movie just uh, really didn't deserve to be made at all. Uh, Mars Needs Moms <laughs> nice. from 2011. And if everyone remembers that uh, failed CGI mocap uncanny valley descent into... Uh, you know, the Martian abyss. Um, it, 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 it's worth noting also, let's, let's not forget the, the horribly lost opportunity here. They released it in March of 2011. They didn't even capitalize on Mother's Day, which is the, the single thing. Like, you know, it, it, I'm sure when you go to business school and learn about how to market a movie, the first thing they teach you is uh, align it with major holidays that are, uh, that are obvious. Independence Day, for example. So, yeah. far as these bombs for uh, obvious marketing failure and... Um, failed salute to to moms because nice. God knows that Mars doesn't need them. We need them here. Mars needs moms is another one in the like the the John Carter of Mars with that uh, that Disney guy who uh, never mind Taylor Kitsch. It's a little it's a little uh, it's a little inside baseball, I guess. John Parrish. What up? What up? What up? So I'm just gonna throw this out there, leave it on the table, and offer no follow up discussion. I kind of like the movie Bowfinger. Yeah, 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 yeah. Same nice. I'm, I will know. I'll, I'll offer follow-up discussion, of course. <laughs> oh, good. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's not hugely original. Well, actually, no, it is kind of original. It's The problem is it's really sort of, speaking of inside baseball, it's really satirical about certain elements of the the Hollywood filmmaking business and it's really tough to pull that off. I mean unless unless you're who who did the player? Was that Robert Altman? Yes. Okay, cool. Then then yeah, I mean unless it's unless it's the player or a movie of that caliber, it's really tough to do that sort of inside Hollywood satire because really the only people who care about how genuinely fake Hollywood is are people immersed in Hollywood, which ironically doesn't include the majority of movie watchers but i thought it was still funny it had steve martin and eddie murphy back when they were both still regularly funny people hmm. and yeah it it works just enough on its own merits i mean and it was of course a actually according to wikipedia it earned back its budget so yeah but not in a way that us they wanted a steve martin eddie murphy comedy to do 
Well, that right. is to say, well, not just earn back its budget, but you know, exceed it many times over. So uh, I'll just share a couple of things that I really liked about Bowfinger. Uh, one, the, the, the consistent riffing on Scientology. And two, um, what I thought was really clever uh, to do in a movie was uh, how they depict um, surreptitiously, surreptitiously filming a movie. That is, say, filming the, 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 mov- the movie star Eddie Murphy character, not his hapless brother. Um, so that, you know, basically filming the movies that he's without his cooperation so that he can be in it. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I liked it. <laughs> um, I, you know, cynical, cynical movies about Hollywood. Like the list would have to have to start for me with the player. Yeah, but uh, it, it also includes Get Shorty. You know, uh, Tropic Thunder. T- sure. What just happened? Starring Robert De Niro. Um, Another Robert De Niro movie where he's a cop and he gets uh, what's the movie? He he's a cop and and he gets oh uh, Showtime. Yes, uh, also also starring Eddie Murphy. <laughs> and uh, and also I think a box office disappointment, right? I don't know. Someone you could fact check me uh, on that if you want to. Um, my answer uh, to the box office disappointment question is a movie that I thought was legitimately good and that we actually devoted a whole podcast episode to. Uh, Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Uh. Uh, domestic uh, total gross of $31.5 million, uh, Worldwide of $16 million, Or no, I guess, sorry, foreign uh, was $16 million, So worldwide was uh, 47.6. Uh, against a production budget of sixty million, even once you sell it to TV, sell a bunch of DVDs. Though honestly, the DVD business—I mean, when was the last time? Have you guys, either of you, bought a DVD recently? Yeah, I did. That's what I thought. Yeah. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, it's it's uh, and a good a good role for Michael Sarah, um, and uh, and a movie that I thought was you know. An all-around good, uh, clever, interesting movie, and a good, uh, good sort of adaptation of the books, uh, though it shifted emphasis slightly. Now that I've now that I've finally read the books, Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim versus the World. Hey, before we leave the subject of Dark Shadows entirely, which, by the way, none of us has seen, and we're not going to do that thing on the Overthinking It podcast where we devote an entire podcast to a movie which none of us have seen. Wouldn't that be funny? Um, yeah. Wouldn't that be funny? Yeah. Like, I think this is Michelle Pfeiffer's finest work ever, yeah. Yeah. you know? No, and I but- include, I include like, um, uh, The Age of Innocence and everything. Totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Okay, no, it's a serious Catwoman. question. If somebody a year ago had told you that Johnny Depp would be in a vampire movie and it would be... Uh, a commercial failure wouldn't your response to become like well they would have really had to have done something wrong with that right that's sort of like that's your money to lose right there don't you think that the vampire thing is played at this point I uh, not mean, really no no like because well i guess yeah i guess twilight never mind i mean i should shut my mouth because twilight's gonna come out and make you know break all the avengers records or whatever or break all the harry potter records and and uh uh, and I'm going to have to eat my eat my words, but I, uh, so uh, never mind. Let me rephrase it. Don't you think Twilight has sucked all the air out of that uh, out of that niche? You mean you mean suck the blood out of all of it? Huh? huh? R- rather, uh, let, rather, let me put it to you this way: Have you have you ever been in a in a play of some sort? I once or twice. 
Okay, so now take a play that you know fairly well, maybe one that you've been in, uh-huh. and rewrite it so that one or two of the characters are vampires. Okay, let's, okay we're going to do As You Like It, uh, okay. right, which is a play that I've done. And uh-huh. uh, the Duke flees to the woods because his, uh, his brother, the evil Duke, the usurping Duke, is, uh, is a vampire. And it's called As You Bite It. <laughs> Okay, but one of, the, one of them has to be a good vampire, a likable vampire. Oh, so. maybe they're vampire brothers and the good... Okay, so then they're like the, the Duke who flees to the woods. Duke Sr. Is, um, uh, is the good vampire who only eats, like, rabbits and squirrels. And uh, uh-huh. then the, the, blood-sucking, the human blood-sucking vampire usurps him. Um, and then, oh, you know what? The Oliver Orlando uh, thing can also be good-bad vampires, right? Because it's another, it's another good-bad brother uh, story. And um, and the whole yes, and and Rosalind right. Rosalind pretends to be human, right. But is actually secretly a vampire. Yeah, but she's actually secretly human, pretending to be a vampire, pretending to be human. Maybe I don't know. Do you think that's a bridge <laughs> right. too far? Okay. So anyhow, anyhow, the the point of that exercise, rather that premise right there, would get you a fifty thousand dollar advance. Nice. On a, a, a for for a book or for a for a screenplay. Uh, yes, both. Why not? <laughs> <laughs> Um, I guess we are going to see Abraham Lincoln Vampire Hunter in a few uh, in a few weeks, whether we want to or not. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if we're we're going to go see it. But one thing we are going to go see is Battleship. I think we set Battleship as the next movie that we're going to try and schedule a bunch of live overthinking it meetups about. So check the site this week for um, information about Battleship. Uh, we're we're gonna I think do one in. Um, in Los Angeles, uh, that I, you know, I think Ben Adams, who has written a uh, guest article for Overthinking It, and has another one in the pipe, um, in the pipeline, uh, who is an actual Navy dude, uh, is a badass Navy guy, is going to come meet us uh, at the Los Angeles meetup and uh, talk about the you know naval faux pas or what they get right and wrong in battleship about the united states navy so that that is you know a reason to spend your early afternoon saturday with us uh also because we'll probably go to a mexican restaurant and drink a lot of margaritas afterwards that's another reason that you the new york meetup we're actually gonna play the board game (laughs) <laughs> we're gonna go to williamsburg and do it there <laughs> and do it. <laughs> play the board game you should do the the drinking game where you do it with shots and you have to call the you know you call the you put your shots on a grid and they call numbers and you have to drink if they uh if uh, anyway <laughs> oh this is how we're filling the dead air that pete fenzel left behind <laughs> aren't you enjoying the show hi pete <laughs> Guys, I'll I'll G chat Pete. All right, let's let's uh, let's dig into some of this listener feedback. We have a um, uh, we have a whole bunch, and it's it's very cool. We love it. Uh, just to review because it's been a while, I think, since we've done this. Um, you can email us at podcast at overthinkingit dot com, or a lot of these things came through as text messages. Uh, the uh, to the phone number, which is two zero three two eight five six four zero one. That's two zero three two eight five six four zero one. And these are some text messages. And there's one uh, uh, there's one voicemail, which you will hear a little later on. Um, all right. So uh, this comes from Rob via text message uh, regarding episode one hundred eighty three. I um. Oh God, that's how long it's been since we've we've done one. That's what that's uh, almost twenty episodes, which is like five months. 
Um, so well, more that's in- embarrassing. Yeah. Sorry, guys. Uh, sorry, guys. Uh, I watched the Swedish version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, says Rob, uh, on Netflix Instant. Uh, watching it on a laptop, which was next to a desktop monitor on which I played Civilization V the whole time. Do I have a problem? Yes. <laughs> so uh, you're, you're... Yeah, your problem is that you're awesome. <laughs> no, I was going to say your problem is that you're playing Civilization, which uh, if your experience is anything like mine, which I've commented on the podcast before, it's probably inhib- inhibiting various uh, behaviors that are more socially appropriate, like you know, bathing and eating and uh, sleeping appropriate number of hours and uh, going to your job and things like that. Again, I say that from experience. Mm-hmm. Civilization impedes daily behavior. And um, if it's doing that to any degree uh, to you, I suggest you stop playing Civilization. Get some Rob, I'm, I'm going to disagree with my fellow podcaster here. In fact, you're exemplifying what, or you're sort of providing a neat little narrative parallel for one of the, the new ways to win in Civilization Five. Well, I think it, it started in Civ Three, but has since become uh, built in. That is one of the ways in which you can win a game of Civ Five is by a cultural victory uh- <laughs> where your civilization's culture takes over, you know, the entire globe or every other civilization. And Girl with the Dragon Tattoo is an excellent example of Sweden's attempt to win a cultural victory over the rest of the world, which was then subsumed by the U.S., which made its own version of Girl with the Dragon Tattoo, therefore winning its own cultural victory. So thank you, thank you for providing us this parallel. Also, Sweden should have built uh, city walls around the city to prevent the United States from usurping. It's uh, using this culture to usurp. Or, or more aqueducts. Always more aqueducts. Ah, I don't know about the aqueducts. You get the, you know, you achieve the economic milestone and you get the free aqueducts. In Civilization Revolution, at least. Moving along. Uh, this comes from the 510 <laughs> area code. From comes from the San Francisco Bay Area in California. I think this may be Robin. Uh, our buddy from Twitter, or, for, or who was uh, from Twitter. I'm not, uh, not sure if he's still kicking ass there or kicking ass somewhere else. Um, and uh, 510, or it may be, some, it may be another person. Five, five one, because uh, I only apparently know one person in the 510 area code. All right, awkward, moving right along. Listening to the Spirit of Vengeance episode, this listener uh, informs us, the format where only one of y'all has seen the movie you're discussing works really well. You should do that more often. Well, thank you. We, we like to think that our extemp- extemporaneous brand of BS is, uh, you know, fascinating listening for all. So, so what he's saying is that less people who've seen the movie and the podcast, the better it is. Maybe we really should do Dark Shadows this week. I think we should. Yeah. <laughs> this is Michelle Pfeiffer's finest this, work. This regression clearly has only one way to since, go. Since Dangerous Minds, you know, we choose to die. Deep cut. Deep Dangerous Minds cut. All right. Also, uh, 510 continues. Uh, I was big into the Ghost Rider comic as a kid and haven't seen the movies, largely because I can't see how Cage could be a good blaze. Fenzel's convinced me that the movies could be good despite that. That is one side effect uh, of having a conversation with Pete Fenzel. You know, you, you realize um, that you're wrong about most things or that, you know, that something that is that is objectively uh, considered probably very bad could indeed be awesome. I will add that after we had that podcast or I think I remember if I was on it or I listened to it. I went back and watched the Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance trailer um, and saw the scene in the trailer where he is peeing fire. And uh, needless to say, was deeply intrigued 
oh, horrified also, but also deeply intrigued by it. So, you know, Netflix, if it comes up on the instant streaming, I'll be like, eh, I've had a few beers. I got really, you know, nothing better to live for in my life. But uh, why not? Ghost Rider Spirit of Vengeance. So thanks, Pete. Um, and then also, also, this was 30 years ago, so I may be misremembering. But as I remember, the comic Ghost Rider uh, was all about the will and the puns, the terrible, terrible puns. You have to remember a little bit about our Ghost Rider episode to understand what um, uh, what that refers to. But thank you very much, five one zero. Keep on, uh, keep on listening, and you know, riding the Bart, and uh, I don't know, and your motorcycle with your skull on fire, right? Um, Dan C. writes in about a movie that we said we saw. Um, uh, someone mentioned uh, a handful of episodes ago. Uh, the movie you might be thinking of, it was a movie where all, all kinds of famous detectives get together. Um, and that movie might be Murder by Death. Uh, the punchline is that none of the detectives actually solve the mystery. Spoiler alert, Dan C. You've got to put spoiler alert if you're going to say anything like that. Yeah, because you can't count on the hosts, you know, when, who's reading it to insert spoiler alert for you. That's just crazy talk. Uh, no, I, I absolutely reject. I reject that. Maybe it's maybe it's I've been Sheely ified uh, working with Sheely on the TFT podcast um, <laughs> in the middle in the middle of the overthinking it live show. Uh, Ryan Sheely um, shouted out a, a really really non-trivial spoiler for the wire and there was this kind of uncomfortable laughter because no one really knew and then people realized what he had just said and uh and there was this even more uncomfortable <laughs> laughter so i'm uh i've been uh oh i don't know influenced i've had a bad influence yeah. from him so before we leave this uh this piece of listener feedback i have seen murder by death um i, I thought it's from the 70s doesn't age well it has um, a horrible uh, Asian stereotype by the um, by the by the actor who did the Pink Panther, whose name I'm totally blanking on right Peter now. Peter Sellers. Peter Sellers. He plays uh, a typical uh, Chinese Chinaman. Chinese the Chinaman. He's redundant, but he does that anyway. No. Um, yeah. So there's that. Um, Truman Capote has a very weird role in it. Alec Guinness is also in it. Um, didn't really do it for me. Don't recommend it. Okay. Uh, we see these movies, so you don't have to. Um, and uh, now with your Fenzel update via Gchat from Fenzel, who is writing Amtrak uh, home, uh, Fenzel says he just got some peanuts and a diet Pepsi. So uh, there you go. Fenzel is is refreshed and has some snacks. Uh, the bitter guy at the bitter guy on Twitter. Uh, says, and this is, uh, this is about something I think I was saying, I, I continue to be disappointed when the cast of the Overthinking It podcast refers to Next Generation like it's real Star Trek. Ooh. Oh, by the way, there was a little brief exchange with the bitter guy on Twitter as well, um, to which I asked, uh, you know, is that dis- uh, disappointment uh, you know, one of our semantics or preference for um, the original series? Pucci replied, purely preference for the original series and a sousson of dickishness. <laughs> nice use of the word sousson, the bitter guy. Um, I don't know. I'm the I'm the one who uh, I'm the one who who has been rewatching Next Generation on uh, on Netflix instant streaming. 
And it's actually great uh, now that I've been doing a lot more programming because I'm, I've been doing a lot more day job work uh, now that I've graduated from uh, my master's program. Um, I, I, uh, I said, uh, I said, actually speaking of this, I set the iPad next to the computer monitor. I program on the computer monitor and just like mainline episodes of Star Trek, the next generation. And I can get through maybe 10 in a day, you know, uh, while, you know, tracking down, tracking down bugs, profiling PHP applications. Um, so I, I, haven't watched as much original series as I have, but I, I'm going to express my own personal preference for Star Trek The Next Generation uh, over Star Trek The Original Series. Seasons three on, right? Um, seasons one and two are, are kind of embarrassing, and, and I think the less said about them the better but three four five six and seven are are damn good are damn good television but you know and and so you know it is my star trek and kind of the way it was formative for a whole generation for my parents generation star trek was formative um the next generation was sort of formative for me because i saw it i I was like uh seven or eight years old when they came on and i watched them from the time that i was seven until the time uh until the time i was 14 you know and and um so they're they're just in my dna the way the 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 original series may just be in your dna the bitter guy it was like this for if it was like this for you matt it was your uh your introduction to science fiction sure like this opened your mind to these fantastic stories of outer space um, and aliens and whatnot. Yeah, um, but I, you know, I actually I've been noticing something about about Star Trek: The Next Generation as I've been watching it, and it has to do, and I, I, this might be part of a larger overthinking article later, but uh, I, I've been noticing something about the the sort of very strictly episodic nature of the storytelling there's there are certain things that are sort of continuities in the star trek the next generation universe and i think as you get on into the other franchises it's it gets sort of more serialized but because each episode is kind of a little self-contained capsule um and this is you know of course long pre-sopranos long pre sort of heavily serialized television shows um you're you're asked to accept the most ridiculous premises uh, within the space of like ninety seconds in the beginning of the episode. You know what I mean? Like a good improv sketch, you get the the who, where, and what out uh, as quickly as possible. And so the um, you get a dramatic string swell, uh, the zoom in on someone's face, and then space. Yeah, exactly. The final frontier. <laughs> sort of. Yeah, exactly. Like Worf is going to resign from Starfleet uh, <laughs> or something like that. You know what I mean? Or like. Uh, or I don't know. Someone else is going to resign from Starfleet. There's more resigning from Starfleet than uh, than you'd actually think. Um, or like uh, you know, Riker falls in love with a beautiful alien. Uh, I I hadn't remembered Riker getting as much tail as he gets. Maybe it was because of the age I was when I watched them the first time you're not really sort of thinking about that when you're eight or nine years old um but now it's it's almost embarrassing it doesn't reach kirk levels uh but it it is uh sort of embarrassing and just how how like studiedly cool uh everybody is about it right like as though the whole galaxy were just this extended friends with benefits situation 
<laughs> you know, uh, like the whatever whatever leggy alien Riker is boning this uh, this episode. Anyway, so you know, someone falls in love, or Troy gets pregnant and is going to have a child, or um, this or that. The, the it's not like uh, we would expect from television these days, where these these sort of undercurrents, where there are kind of multiple threads to a story, and these undercurrents have been um, what simmering, flowing for many episodes, and then like, and so when when something erupts into being a kind of full fledged uh, incident, a full fledged plot premise, you feel prepared for it, right? Uh, it's it's kind of just established like everything is normal. Then, bam! Within ninety seconds, uh, here's the the crisis of the week, and everybody accepts it so quickly. Um, and it's just a it's just a way that these stories have to be told because of the because of the way um, they're constructed. Uh, well, that, yeah. So I'll, I'll add to that as well that part of this is just part and parcel of the. Uh, the fundamentals of the situation that the Enterprise was in and the type of stories that you tell about the Enterprise, which is to say that it is the flagship of the Federation. And, you know, it, it, you know, if you're on a long journey and there's going to be some exciting times and some very mundane, boring science missions that have this weird, you know, quirky, fun time with Data's chip thing on the side. Contrast that with, uh, of course, Star Trek Voyager. Right where it's not the Federation flagship, it's this uh, other ship with a weird shape and these uh, warp nacelles that fold up for really no apparent reason. Um, and for them, they have a long story arc there, right? You know, they're tossed out in some other part of the galaxy and they got to work their way home. Um, granted, that there was, it was fairly episodic within that, but unlike Next Generation, it had that sort of uh, long story arc right. to it. But uh, that really comes down to sort of the, the, the nature of the ship. Like, the Enterprise is the sort of omnibus storytelling device in a way that the Voyager was not. And then therefore prevented that sort of long-form narrative arcs that we are more accustomed to these days. Have you noticed that Starfleet ships got weirder and weirder looking as time went on? Well, yeah, because they didn't want to keep making the same saucer and nacelle thing over and over again. I guess so, but uh, like... I, I think that the Enterprise is so cla- the Enterprise D is so like classically handsome, and the um, the and the Voyager and uh, also the the next Enterprise, right? Like in some of the later Star Trek: The Next Generation movies, it's just funny looking. It's like you took the perfect Enterprise and and grabbed it from the front and and the the back, and then just like stretched it out, you know, until it was. I don't know, like a uh, like a 1920s roadster or something, like just just uh, almost comically elongated. Well, it's as if also like, they're taking our 21st century notion of sort of innovating just for the sake of and differentiating just for the sake of innovation and differentiation without actually improving on things, um, and then applying that to 24th century spacefaring vessels. Yeah. <laughs> well, it is. Well, it is. I, I, and I say this based on a frighteningly limited knowledge of the Star Trek universe as a whole and next generation in particular. But given that there's a, you know, no real, no real economy as we would recognize it in the 21st century and B, you know, there's, there's also very few, uh, there are fewer physical limits than we're used to in space because, you know, it's, it's a microgravity. Everything's held together by 
force fields or, or artificial gravity or things like that. In other words, typical engineering constraints that we would recognize are absent in Starfleet because, you know, they can build things in space. Right. So, yeah, why not get experimental? Why not just get weird for the sake of getting weird? For the Frank Geary, you could have the Frank Geary spaceship, right? Just, <laughs> <laughs> it kind of looks like an artichoke or something, right? That is just, <laughs> well, they, they'd appear outside the Frank Geary spaceship, and then they'd spend 40 minutes debating whether or not it's an organic life form, and then photon. <laughs> you know, the... Um, uh, you know what the windows uh, in the Starship Enterprise D are made of? Uh, no, tell us, Matt. <laughs> Transparent aluminum. Which uh, that's uh, a deep cut. Uh, yeah. If you uh. remember, if you remember uh, Star Trek Four, right, uh, where they travel back in time to San Francisco, maybe they say hi. Um, maybe they say hi to uh, to our friend Five One Zero. They travel to San Francisco to transport whales back to the twenty third century. Um, the uh, Scotty gives the formula for transparent aluminum to a uh, you know an industrial design firm that manufactures plexiglass uh, in like you know eighteen inch widths. And Scotty says, "Lottie, what if I gave you uh, a substance that would hold the same amount of water in you know two inch widths?" Um, and then uh, debating the ethics of this, Scotty later says, "Well, how do you know he didn't invent it?" Uh, so transparent aluminum. There you go. Hmm. A little continuity in the Star Trek universe. Uh, I, I uh, messaged Pete about Star Trek The Next Generation versus uh, the original series uh, on the train. And from the train, he thumbs into his, uh, into his phone. For Picard in The Next Generation, uh, the character of the show uh, and the character of his character, his character, is that there are always options. He thrives on choice and compromise. And Pete goes on and says, for Kirk, uh, these are usually desperate times. He thrives on doing the necessary thing, right? Which is typically a drop kick. <laughs> yeah. Uh, right. So the original series has its own energy that compels it to exist, whereas in The Next Generation, um, uh, The Next Generation is kind of like a baby born into the world figuring out why it exists. Uh, at this point, um, Star Trek, Pete, Pete says, contra uh, our Twitter friend, The Bitter Guy, uh, Star Trek signifies more of the next generation than the original series because the the TNG paradigm um, is uh, is dom- dominant, right? Um, the Deep Space Nine, Voyager, uh, sort of even Enterprise, kind of belong to the TNG continuity. Um, even though uh, you know it, it, it purports to be uh, in the same con- continuity as the original series, um, uh, though we are now, I guess Star Trek now moves on. Uh, now kind of moves on to J.J. Um, Abrams, right? So, so the TNG continuity is uh, the, I don't know. Uh, is uh, sunset. Mm, it's the good sunset. question, yeah. Yeah, the sunset of the TNG continuity. Anyway, we should move on. Um, so, uh, so, Mark, how is yes. your uh, Overthinking It After Hours podcast going? Well, I'd tell you, but uh, <laughs> you'd have the- to wait till After Hours for a little thing we call 
Raw Lee. <laughs> Raw Lee. Unfiltered. Un... <laughs> uncured. Non-cured. Um, so, uh, Raw Lee Newsy writes in from the Caucasus. Well, he actually writes in from um, Turkey, where he is on uh, vacation. And uh, he says, hello from your number one fan in the Caucasus and namesake for Mark Lee's After Hours podcast. Raleigh. <laughs> uh, I'm writing to let you know that you're getting me in trouble outside of Georgia now, the former, the former Soviet Republic of Georgia now. Uh, I'm currently taking a four-day vacation to Turkey. And I used the flights and all the transportation uh, to get caught up on the podcast. This means I spent the better part of the day grinning like a fool once more. Turks don't seem to mind as much as former Soviets do. But it still makes me feel silly when the soldiers guarding the bases in Turkey see me walking by like some fool with a big old smile plastered on his face. Which brings me to my, my question. I flew to Kayseri... I, I assume that's a uh, location in Turkey, in central uh, Anatolia, again, a region of Turkey, I assume, this morning. And with plenty of time to kill, I decided to walk into town to see the museum and the fortress, then walk, uh, walk out again to the bus station. My Turkish is incredibly poor, and I really only know the words that I've seen all over the place in the airports. Uh, as I walked along the highway listening to your podcast, I decided to follow the brown signs to find the historical sites. I recall that in the States, brown signs indicate uh, sites of historical or touristic significance. I decided that I wanted to see the Erciyes. I do not know what the RCS is. I walked for two hours following the brown signs and I never found it. Eventually I gave up and took a bus to the Otogar. Okay, come on, Raleigh. Now you're just making up words. Uh, <laughs> and I got out of Dodge. Now I could very easily type RCS, E R C I Y E S, into Google and find out what I was uh, struggling toward. However, I thought it would be much more entertaining. To ask you, as I know that Schechner has a Turkish wife and is quite fond of Turkey in general. Actually, uh, Schechner is so fond of Turkey, uh, based on the evidence of his wife, that he actually learned Turkish uh, before he married her. So, uh, Raleigh continues. Um, Any chance you guys can help me out on this one? Uh, I'd love to know what I gave up on. Thanks again for the publicly humiliating laughs and the general good times. Well, thank you, Raw Lee. Uh, Here at the Overthinking Podcast, our motto is we Google so you don't have to. So, Raleigh, I, given how infrequently we answer listener feedback, I hope you haven't been waiting all this time for an answer. <laughs> Although, if you have, I applaud your patience. So, we've, we've done, I'll be honest, I've done what, what, you, uh, what you chose not to do and punch into Google. And uh, Erciyes in uh, Turkey is probably Mount Erciyes, which is uh, 25 kilometers to the south of Kayseri, a massive stratovolcano, uh, ultra-prominent, according to the way that mountains are classified, so if you walk for two hours following brown signs pointing towards Erciyes, my guess is you walked around it. <laughs> right. Did you look up and see the m- enormous freaking mountain that was there? Uh, if you did, uh, that was Erciyes. Wikipedia tells me there's also an Erciyes University uh, located in Kayseri, Uh its motto is a world university. 
Overthinkingit.com podcast for all your <laughs> Turkish traveling tip needs. Yep. Right. Uh, so let me tell you about the San Fernando Valley in Los Angeles. Oh, yes. Please oh, do. Deep cut. Deep cut. Uh, Vishal writes in and says, congratulations on crossing 200 podcasts. This is how you know we've caught up because we've, uh, we've now finally uh, gotten one that's in the last uh, one or two podcasts. Um, congratulations on crossing 200 podcasts. I was listening to some of your earlier episodes, and an idea that came up several times was that popularity has a lifespan of about three years. Lady Gaga was brought up as an example of someone who uh, reinvents herself faster than that. Now that you guys are well into year four, do you have oh. any thoughts? Yeah, I know. Uh-huh. Do you have any thoughts on how you would keep reinventing yourself? Are all podcasts doomed to the three-year cycle? Cheers, and here's to 200 more episodes, Vishal. John, wasn't this your article? Yeah, this, this, was, this was my idea. So it's, uh, it's, it's referencing, and I've, I've brought it up enough, uh, enough times. Yeah, it's, one, it's a point that I keep bringing up. I, I almost wonder, should we have, like on, somewhere on the, the main OTI site, a list of, I guess, overthinking it canon or doctrine or just things we reference often enough, like the Bechdel test, for instance, and the Iron Law of Stardom, which I'm about to get into a little further, that are just like, hey, these are pop culture lenses that you should be vaguely familiar with if you're going to listen to the podcast, because we bring them up like every other episode, or like Schopenhauer, or, or things like that. But Foucault. anyway, the Iron Law of Stardom, Louis Menand, uh, in an article in The New Yorker, and I want to say 90, 1997, 96, thereabout, uh, posited the idea that someone can only be a star, like, in other words, centrally famous in pop culture for about three years. And that after that point, they have to reinvent themselves in order to continue being, in order to continue being a star. Now, there's a, there's a distinction between being famous and being a star in the sense that, you know, Jennifer Lopez, for example, is still famous in that, you know, people recognize her. But there was a period between like roughly 2000 and 2000, 2003 where you could not open a magazine without seeing something about her. Whereas now it takes pretty substantial Jennifer Lopez related news to even to even merit a, a small entry in the Us Weeklies and People magazines of the world. Mm-hmm. So right now, for instance, Justin Bieber is at that peak. And uh, who else would be a good example? Uh, Jess- Jessica Simpson is just coming off that peak due to her recent pregnancy. But there was there was a lull period in there when she was no longer making the, making news to the same extent. Or uh, Rihanna. Yeah, sure. Or think of the the slightly, in fact, right after Jennifer Lopez, think of the Paris Hilton um, peak. Well, that was actually exactly. recent. Yeah, sure. And now you could you can't you can't really find any news about Paris Hilton, but you're going to find a lot about Kim Kardashian, for example. And her star exactly. may be her star may be on the wane as well. I guess. Yeah, I think I think with I think. Yeah I, yeah, I think Kardashian's near the end of her three years. Now, obviously, Menon positive this theory somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but it's, it's a handy guideline, and it's a good reiteration and, I guess, you know, reassurance of the point that no one's going to dominate the zeitgeist forever, at least not without reinventing themselves. The Beatles are brought up as an example of a band that went through several reinventions and was thus able to stay in the public eye for longer than three years. Uh, Madonna would be another good example through the 80s because she went through several re, uh, re- revamps at this point. So to the, uh, to the question, uh, something, that, something that's popular having a lifespan around three years, I, uh, Vishal, I think we would need to get popular first. <laughs> so, 
I uh, I'm not particularly worried, but uh, but thank you, yeah, thank yeah. you anyway. Right now we're the equivalent of Lady Gaga, you know, uh, honing her lounge, her avant-garde performance art lounge act in the Lower East Side, which you did, I presume, for several years. Yeah, before. exactly. Playing and, playing for literally dozens of people. <laughs> literally literally dozens of people or the the beatles when they were playing in germany right like uh sort of becoming becoming the beatles becoming the great band that you know later made uh made sort of pathbreaking um you know seminal rock and roll record after yeah. pathbreaking seminal rock and roll record they spent a lot of time playing in a bar you know uh, to to get to that point yeah, that's that's not going to get us in trouble comparing ourselves to the Beatles. Ah, no, 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 no. Or Lady Gaga, for that matter. Yeah. Oh, you should also know that you know I have a meat dress ready in the, the closet. Thinking a podcast is bigger than Jesus. Oh, well, and that, that it's late on a Sunday and we're still up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, uh, um. Yeah, meat dress, Mark. You got you got your. Meat oh yeah, dress yeah, right yeah. Uh, it's, I'm just waiting for the appropriate time. You know, after we have, uh, you know, breached the, the, the that uh, level of popularity, we have saturated the zeitgeist, and when people are starting to get tired of us, they're going to put on the meat dress. We're going to reinvent ourselves. <laughs> it's going to be very exciting. The podcast is <laughs> so much more different with me and my meat dress on. I yeah, I would. I, I'd actually like to propose that as a. Um, you know, as a saying that we can uh, uh, that we can you know use to describe that moment in a uh, you know a public personality's life where they sort of do something drastic uh, to kind of maintain the spot to maintain their place in the spotlight, right? Like putting on the meat they're dress. Real, they're really putting on the meat dress. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Right. Exactly. It would be like uh, oh, you know, I don't know. Britney Spears shaved her head. She's really putting on the meat dress, right? I, that's anachronistic because the meat dress, I think, uh, comes after Britney Spears shaved her head. But yep. uh, that would be an example of someone putting, uh, putting, uh, putting on the meat dress. <laughs> you know? Okay. We also refer to putting on the glasses. Just thinking about other articles of clothing and or clothing type accessories that you put on that we often refer to. Um, but that's kind of a different thing. Putting on the glasses. Um. Well, so that is our that's our uh, mailbag. That's our listener feedback. So we're very glad uh, we're very glad that you wrote in. Um, we'd we'd actually like to make it more of a regular feature of the podcast so that there's more kind of a feedback loop and it's a little more participatory. We get great. Uh, I mean, maybe maybe we should just uh, count our blessings because we get great feedback on the show notes um, in the comments uh, for every episode, and there's a great community of. Uh, of listeners and sort of great conversations that go on there, but it would be nice to bring some of it, uh, some of the best of it onto the, uh, onto the show itself. So podcastoverthinking.com two zero three two eight five six four zero one to call or text. Uh, moving on. It's been a, um, it's been a feature of the overthinking podcast that we've done these, uh, we've done these summer movie preview, uh, episodes that are famously well not really famously we'd have to be famous if they were famously but among ourselves they are famously rambling uh impossible to get through um even you know half a dozen movies in in an hour so in the in the 15 minutes that remain to us in in the the you know hour of this podcast maybe we should try to get through the whole summer the whole summer's worth of movies. Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, Look, guys, limit your responses to only the most salient insights. Right. Absolutely. Yes or no. Um, 
what started uh, the summer movie season this year? The Avengers, yes, but there there have been uh, oh the Hunger Games for right. sure. Yeah, before that, uh, anything even before that? No, Hunger Games. Let's say Hunger Games. That was the that you think that was the biggest. Uh, Okay. Yeah, that harkens back to the March uh, or, or kick off the summer movie season, like what Watchmen a few years ago, um, being a big tentpole superhero movie that came out in March. Yeah, it did. It did not. Um, yeah, that was not a good. Uh, uh, that was not a good thing. Uh, Twenty One Jump Street, no. Safe House, no. Obviously, no. Yeah, Hunger Games. Okay. There it is. Uh, Hunger Games was the start. Um, so we've talked about that, and we've talked about uh, Avengers at some length. Uh, this week, Dark Shadows, we're skipping it. Um, midweek, this coming week, The Dictator, Sasha Baron Cohen. Uh, now, I didn't realize that the, the premise of this movie was that the, uh, the dictator gets... Um, uh, the dictator sort of loses his beard and is sort of lost in New York. So it's, it's sort of coming to America. Right. Yeah. Neither, mm. neither did I. That was that was a late change between the first trailers I saw and the most recent. Yeah. Or it was a, it was kind of a reveal where they they were kind of leading you down the garden path or at least establishing the character and then revealing the and then revealing the premise of the movie, which it, like uh, tell me if I'm wrong. It's it's coming to America, isn't it? Except that, uh, you know, rather than a um, an endearing, uh, benevolent uh, monarch coming to America. In this case, it's a, a homicidal psychopathic dictator. Okay, so it's it's <laughs> it's it's coming to America for a, a post nine eleven world, right? Like, See, here's the here's the thing. It's also sort of a riff off the the Charlie Chaplin movie, The Great Dictator, which is about you know Charlie Chaplin playing a a Hitler with the serial numbers filed off, and also a Jewish tailor, I believe, or, or like a Jewish peasant who looks exactly like the dictator in this movie and is sort of like shepherded into uh, shepherded into power and you know takes advantage of that to sort of play havoc with the Nazi Germany with the serial numbers filed off country that it is. So when I when I first heard about this months and months ago, I thought, oh, here's Sasha Baron Cohen remaking a Charlie Chaplin movie. Right. And it maybe in its own way this is their sort of riff on it. It's it instead of making it two characters, it's one character who's masquerading as poor. I don't know, maybe. But yeah, interesting. Um May eighteenth, Battleship, which I think we'll have a lot more to say about next week. Uh, Hysteria, which is a period drama with Maggie Gyllenhaal uh, and Hugh Dancy and Jonathan Price, and about um, vibrators, about vibrators, about vibrators. Yep, uh, <laughs> Hysteria. Uh, oh, is that what it's about? Yeah. Oh, oh, look, here's the, here's the description on IMDb. A screwball sex comedy set against the strict moral code of Victorian England. Um, okay, fair enough. Uh, hysteria, but the early days of psychoanalysis, apparently. And uh, what to expect when you're expecting. Um, hey, uh, apparently, apparently there's this person named Brooklyn Decker now. Um, where'd she come from? Uh, she, I mean, in three years, she'll be putting on the meat dress, right? Yeah. I believe she was a model of some sort. Um, it does sound like a porn name, uh, to my knowledge. Uh, she does not, you know, traffic exclusively or at all in adult movies, uh, but she is quite attractive. I don't think she's from Brooklyn either. 
So false here, advertising. Here's something interesting. What to expect when you're expecting? It's it, it's based off a nonfiction book, correct? Yes. So it's yeah, yeah it's, it's, it's based it's, off a, It's a book about preg- It's a book about pregnancy. Yeah, but it's it. So it's it's one of those sort of like fun, poppy, accessible books about pregnancy. But it's been turned into a narrative. Like how how did that work? Uh, well, I think it's about. I, I think it's about people trying to. I mean, I've seen trailers for it, and I think it it sort of follows parallel paths uh, with the the sort of a new mother kind of among a group of uh, of women with young children and a new father uh, among a group of new fathers uh, men with with young children and kind of being indoctrinated into it's it's not really about pregnancy in the sense that it's not about the film is not about. Uh, you know how to deal with morning sickness or or some such it's it's about pregnancy in the sense it's that it's about sort of looking forward to parenthood and um you know sort of getting ready for the sort of indignities that that one imagines one is going to suffer as a parent like you know i don't know carrying a baby bjorn or something Right, and it fits into so the zeitgeist uh, in terms of this new concept we'd be talking about sort of this uh prolonged adolescence or um, uh, postponed adulthood that is becoming very uh, the demogra- demographers are, are starting to talk about with uh, with uh, adults um, pu- putting off marriage and child rearing um, much later than they had in previous generations. The company's anxieties. This is also the second in I guess fairly recent series of popular movies based on nonfiction, poppy, you know, relationship slash life coach books. The other one, the other recent one being He's Just Not That Into You, which was a couple of years ago with similar ensemble cast like Jennifer Aniston and Scarlett Johansson and uh, what's a Bradley Cooper. Was it Bradley Cooper? One of the, yeah, I think it was him. And just uh, and Justin Long and a handful of people like that. So are we going to see more of this? Like, are we going to get a tipping point movie sometime soon? Well, there yeah. was a Freakonomics movie, but it was a documentary. We should write the movie of Blink, and it's just us doing 10,000 10, hours of podcasts until we finally get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I would uh, watch the, 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 Yeah, exactly. I'd watch it. You do, you do watch it. You watch it every week. Uh, following weekend, uh, last weekend in May, Chernobyl Diaries, uh, a horror movie. Um, Men in Black 3, which is exactly what you think it is, and Moonrise Kingdom, the latest from Wes Anderson uh, about a, um, a pair of young sort of star-crossed lovers, uh, very young, I mean, sort of like uh, who are at camp, at summer camp, and flee their summer camps, I think, and um, uh, the search party that goes out uh, finding these two missing children i can't wait for th- i can't wait for this one are, are you being serious or, or or i can't tell if you're being serious or no joking. i am being serious i really like wes anderson i realize it's all kind of uh. i realize it's all kind of silly and you know but i i enjoy it and i also i also like um that uh that there's a filmmaker who has a voice that's unique that's you know that's sort of individual and that is not um you know, I don't know. That is a little less cynical, commercially cynical, right? I'll, I'll grant that, but just one thing to say on this: um, you use the word "twee" to describe this, and that's a, uh, that is an apt description of it. But another word comes to mind, and I don't know if uh, a lot of people will be familiar with uh, this phrase used in this in this context. And it's precious. 
I'm not talking about like precious, you know, based on a movie, a novel by Sapphire kind of precious, but more like when they say that Brooklyn is precious and it's not a good thing either. It's a bad thing as in like it's oh, it's so twee and special and, and it's very self-absorbed. Uh, that's what comes to mind when I see I, this. Yeah, I, I always used to uh, pronounce it like precious or precious <laughs> or something like to, to distinguish between the meaning of valuable and the meaning of sort of overwrought and intensely self-regarding, right? Mm-hmm. Like, and yes, mm-hmm. okay, they, they, are, they are sort of intensely self-regarding. You know what I mean? They're self-conscious movies. They're, they're movies that, that seem a little delighted uh a little too delighted with themselves yeah okay but um but they're in, you know they're interesting you know what i mean they're they're sort of captivating and compelling for sort of aesthetic and storytelling reasons in a way that you know that probably can't be said of of men in black 3 that is to say if you gave, if you put a gun to my head and gave me a choice that all movies were going to be akin to men in black 3 from now on or all movies were going to be akin to moonrise kingdom from now on i would pick moonrise kingdom uh you know in a hot minute yeah. Okay. You, would well, you well, would you go the other way? I mean, I could I could make the other argument, right? That that uh... you know the the reason why I, I I wanted to say yes, I would go for Men in Black Three, if for no other reason, just to you know provide a contrasting viewpoint on the podcast uh, argument <laughs> counterpoint. Um, but you know what stops me from doing that? These movies are really loud. <laughs> we talked about this before, like you know the um, the the sens- sensorial assault that we now experience when we go into the cinema. The multiplex uh, and how modern day movies, especially these action movies, uh, the sound experience is so intense uh, that, uh, you know, I don't want to be you know assaulted in such a manner when I go to the theater. Um, I'd rather <laughs> prefer to be just so swaddled in the preciousness of Wes that, Anderson. Well, sure. But I, that's not the only it's it is possible to make um, to make an action movie, for example, where the action is very legible and compelling and is not a uh, is not a Michael Bay esque, um, you know, a, what barrage of visual gibberish, right? Like, I, yeah, the art form is 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 being lost. Absolutely. I mean, we, this is almost a subject for another the, the podcast. But when um, well, when I was thinking, I was watching the, the for, when I was watching the Avengers. Um, yes, I, I, that's what I, yeah, that's what I was say. how great it was, but also I was like, this is very far removed from the very classic set piece action sequences from, say, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Oh, do you, know, you think, which, do you think had so? Which a grounded I... physicality to it um, and uh, were, uh, were, were pulse quickening and exciting, um, but at a very relatable level, unlike what you see in the Avengers. I, you know, it's, it's funny the the Indiana Jones movie that comes to mind for me is Temple of Doom because of, because of the fact that that movie is for me, it's like a two hour action sequence, you know, it's, it's almost like it, it kind of never lets up. Um, Mm. and, and I think that's why it, it doesn't have some of the charm though. It has awesome, awesome, you know, reaching into chests and pulling out hearts. Spoiler Um, alert. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't have uh some of the charm that um Temple of Doom and uh Last Crusade have but uh I I was con- I was not comparing Avengers to Indiana Jones I was comparing it to Transformers because of the you know robot snakes kind of flying through the sky and d- destroying a major American metropo- uh, metropolis and um you know the kind of high level of CGI and the high level of kind of urban 
uh, urban destruction. And I was and I th- I was thinking like uh, there is that one bravura shot, and it's uh, calling it a shot. We kind of have to define what we mean by shot, right? Um, where you sort of fly from one Avenger to the next, and you get to right, all right. of them in that you know in that single you know swooping. Uh, shot in and out of buildings, up and down levels, around robots and things, you know, through explosions and and whatnot. Yeah, but- in one take, it's very reminiscent of a of a comic splash page, where every now and then the comics you'll have one page that's just several overlapping panels that, but that unlike traditional panels, they take place in roughly a space that's proportional to each other as opposed to different segments of time. Right. It's And, and I think that's something about the, the sort of legitimate achievement of Joss Whedon in that movie is that he's done something that speaks to that sort of comics tradition of visual storytelling, also speaks to the, the filmmaking tradition of the long take, you know, or of sort of film, you know, a, different ways of filming action. And I always, I, I always felt like I knew where I was as a viewer, as the camera in, um, in the Avengers and you know what what by and large was happening even when it was even when it was chaotic the the exposition of it uh wasn't sort of wasn't sort of visual gibberish in the way that all the Transformer movies for example are are visual are visual gibberish and so the you know the Avengers is something that I would I would hold up as an example of a good way to uh, of a good way to shoot action. Though we, um, though it's uh, yeah, it's a good way to shoot that type of action, right? A, a hyper stylized uh, style, yeah. Yeah. But anyway, and for uh, well, that hyper stylized or sort of car- I mean cartoonish, right? Science fiction, fantasy. Mm-hmm. Um, action like for I don't even know where you would go for. Uh, you know, authentic action of the, of the kind of the, like the, the, what the car chase and bullet or something, right? Like, well, maybe, you know, what comes to mind actually, it's also in the, in the superhero genre is the Christopher Nolan Batman movies. I think Christopher Nolan, both for those Batman movies and for Inception has talked a lot about how he prefers to use practical effects and not CGI. And I think you see that when you think about the car chase in the dark Knight. Right. When yeah. Some, I mean, uh, some of Inception, there's that, that sort of famous thing that you saw all the, the behind the scenes, um, photographs of where Joseph Gordon Levitt is kind of floating through the the um floating through the hotel hallway, right? And they actually built the hotel hallway on a gimbal and mm-hmm. were like spinning mm-hmm. it around him uh you know as he went. Yeah, sure. That is that's a sort of alternative alternative sort of means of production. Um I'm, I don't know, maybe drive. Did you guys see drive? Yeah, that was, I mean, it was, it was all, you know, legitimate. Well, I mean, the, the ironic part is there's not a lot of driving in drive, to be fair. <laughs> hmm. uh, but a lot of heads exploding. Again, spoiler alert. <laughs> spoiler alert, heads exploding. Spoiler alert yeah. for exploding heads. Well, it seems like we haven't gotten through uh, more than a month of uh, <laughs> new releases for the summer. Just like we promised we won't. We failed at our own, uh, at our own resolution. We didn't, uh, a number of the things we didn't get to. We didn't get to Battlefield America, Snow White and the Huntsman. We didn't get to Brave, uh, the first Pixar movie starring a girl. Abraham Lincoln, but- Vampire Hunter. But hey, that's just more to tune into next week. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, next week will probably be about Battleship and tune into the site and look at the site for um, information about 
uh, meetups, uh, probably in Boston, New York, or Los Angeles for uh, then. Uh, let me give the let me put in another pitch for listener feedback. Uh, it's podcastsoverthinking at dot com or two zero three two eight five six four zero one to call or text two zero three two eight five six four zero one. Let's do this week. Let's um, let's log on and leave a rating for the Overthinking and podcast. It would really help us out uh, to get to the Lady Gaga level of fame uh, so that we can in three years put on the meat dress. Um, <laughs> it would uh, help us out a lot if you uh, went to iTunes to the Overthinking It podcast show page and clicked a rating, gave us a rating. You can leave a comment if you like. We love those and we read all of them, I promise. But um, uh, all you need to do is, re- is leave a rating. And if you leave it Monday or Tuesday so that it coincides with the bulk of the downloads for this episode, that would help us out a lot. It surfaces us in the uh, iTunes film and TV listings. And that helps new people um, discover the show. And we're always glad when new people discover the show. So uh, you can uh, listen to the next show next week, probably about Battleship. Uh, and you can find us in the meantime on the web at www.overthinkingit.com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny. It, it probably, probably doesn't Guys, I can smell the meat dress from here. Rambler, 41 degrees, 59 minutes, 32 seconds north, 77 degrees, 18 minutes, 47 seconds west. Today I experienced a moment of supreme nerd joy. Since I've been listening to a lot of old episodes of Overthinking It, this seemed like a proper place to share. I work in IT, and part of my duties include closing down employee accounts. We have an automated system that notifies us when employees are scheduled for their last day. Today... I received notification from an advanced computer network to terminate John Cobb.